we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. God, the God who made heaven and earth, has revealed himself, he has made himself known. But he has done this progressively. It's been what we might say a progressive revelation. More of God revealed over time. The fullness of the revelation of God is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Word of God with us. That is what we will be looking at today, that story, that journey towards Jesus. So will you pray with me? Father, help us to understand your work of revelation and to see Jesus even in a little bit for who he is and to bow our knee before him in obedience, we ask. Amen. The children of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt, harshly oppressed, but God in his goodness raised up Moses, the man. He prepared Moses with his upbringing to deliver the people under the hand of God out of Israel. Now you may probably know the story. There are many, many plagues. As Pharaoh keeps saying, I will not let the people go, I will not let the people go. Till finally the last plague of the Passover and the firstborn in the land die and Pharaoh says, go. And they go to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army comes and then God opens the waters and they pass through and when they get through the waters close and Israel is on the other side. God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt but actually he's led them into the desert, into the wilderness and they wander through the wilderness and it's hard but God provides until they get to the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai, on the Sinai Peninsula. And there at Sinai God gathers his people together and he reveals himself to them and says, you are my treasured possession. You are to be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You are to represent what I am like to the world. And at Mount Sinai, God reveals himself to the children of Israel up on the mountain with smoke and fire and cloud and thunder and trumpet sounds and it's terrifying. And the people fear God and there is a massive separation. The people can't go near the mountain for God is holy. He is righteous. God gives to his servant Moses his law to his people. The Ten Commandments, here is how you are to live. Uh, and then the other laws following that. And, and the people make a covenant with God. Great, we have your law, we have your word. We're going to commit to following you. 
They have the commandments. They have a covenant and agreement. But Moses is the intermediary between God and the people. Moses is called back up the mountain. He's given instructions about building a tent. Let's call it a tabernacle, which will be a presence, a tent that represents God's presence among the people. They can approach, but only so far. Because they can't get too close to a holy God. And Moses is on the mountain 40 days. Now the people have been given the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, do not make yourself an idol. And in the 40 days up in the mountain, the people make an idol and they start worshipping it. And Moses comes down after 40 days with the Lord, with his law, and looks at the people and he's horrified. And Moses has to act as an intermediary to, if you like, minimise God's judgement on his people. So the big problem with Israel is they just pursued idols, other gods, false gods. We call it sin. Moses acts as an intermediary to avert God's judgement, to plead with God. And there's this thing called the tent of meeting that they have and Moses would go into the tent of meeting and the Lord would come down and meet with Moses in his glory, in his fire and cloud. It's quite amazing. In Exodus 33 we read this in this tent of meeting. Verse 11. Moses, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend in this tent of meeting. Then Moses would return to the camp after meeting with God. It's amazing. God speaks to Moses. God gives his word to Moses. And it's close as. They're like friends. God promises Moses in that tent that he will be with, his, with Israel. His presence will accompany him and Moses pleads, Oh, please, Lord, yes, that must be the case. And we read then in 34 verse 17. 33 verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked. I will go with you because I am pleased with you and I know you, Moses, by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. You've spoken to me. You've given me your name. You've been gracious. I've been in your presence. Now show me, God, your glory. Because we're friends. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, the Lord, in your presence and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But... He said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live, says the Lord God Almighty to Moses, his friend who he's been with, who he's spoken with. So Moses has to hide in a cleft in the rock and the Lord passes by Moses in all of his glory as Moses hides and he says, you can see my back, but you can't see my face. Because for even for Moses, 
there was separation from God because God is holy and pure. And Moses, after this, is called back up the mountain and he's given the Ten Commandments again, written on tablets of stone, and he's given more law. In 34, verses 5 and 6, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses on that mountain and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding, overflowing in love and faithfulness. Overflowing with love and faithfulness. The Lord, Yahweh, in all of his glory passing before, but Moses cannot look and see. Abounding in love and faithfulness. The Hebrew words are the words, Hesed, someone would have pronounced it better from the Middle East, Hesed and Amet. Steadfast love, God's loving kindness, that's Hesed. And Emet, faithfulness or truth, reliability. Steadfast love and faithfulness or truth. Mercy sometimes Hesed's translated. Grace at times Hesed's translated and truth or faithfulness, dependability. That is God overflowing with these things. Moses came down from the mountain. He was radiant and the people saw him radiant with light and they were fearful. And so Moses had to put a veil on his face when he talked to the people because he'd been in the presence of the glory of God. And it still radiated from him. And Moses gave them instructions about this tent where God's presence would dwell on the ark where the law would be contained in the tent. And if we go right to the end of the Exodus story, we read this. They finished building the tabernacle, the tent. The cloud covered the tent. The cloud of the Lord covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Separation, even for Moses, his friend. Separation because of this problem of sin and God's holiness. You cannot see the glory of God and live. Israel had the word of God, in the law of God, in the revelation of God. They had his presence but they couldn't get too close. Moses warned Israel about the problem of this separation. He says, you have to make a choice. You have to choose life and obey God. Hear, believe and obey because if you don't choose life, there will be judgment and judgment will be separation. You will be cast out from the presence of the Lord in whom is all life. If you reject the source of life, you will be cast from his presence. Well, Israel, as a people, as the history unfolded, basically chose separation. Prophet, priest, king, people, they got swamped constantly in idolatry and the worship of other gods. 
And as they did, you read through the Old Testament, they experienced that separation ultimately in a great exile from Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Reject God, you will get separation. You will get a greatening of this distance that our sin causes. The prophets came. Moses, however, also spoke of hope that a greater prophet would come who would draw God's people back to God and who would be light and life. And then other prophets came through the Old Testament history sent by God. They spoke the word of God and they promised that there would be a new covenant, a new way of relating with God, where God's law, in other words, the word of God, would be written on our hearts because we have a heart transplant, a new heart with a new spirit so that God's people would seek him and follow him through the king he will send, the Messiah, the Christ. And many centuries passed and the prophets kept coming and Israel kept on sinning and people kept hoping for this saviour. And then one day the last of the Old Testament prophets came. We actually don't read about him in the Old Testament, we meet him in the New Testament. His name was John. We call him John the Baptist. We're looking in John's Gospel. I haven't hit there yet. We started a series all year in John's Gospel. This is the last talk on the introduction, the prologue, which I've titled the Word of God series. Verse 6 in the prologue, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was like Moses. He was like the prophets who came before him. The Word of God came to John the Baptist. And what a man he was. What a man, man, man. He started a movement. Everybody wants to start a movement these days. Movement's not where you start an organisation, but when you, things just happen like, like the civil rights with Martin Luther King in America in the 60s. That's a movement. It just happens. Everybody wants to start. John started a movement. He was a wild man. He lived in the desert and in the wilderness and he kept boldly calling people back to God. He said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Someone's coming. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is drawing near and people flock to him. And they were being baptised in the desert as a sign of their turning back to God and wanting to be cleansed. And great crowds came and he had lots of disciples. Even the kings knew about John the Baptist. He started a movement. A guy who started a movement recently is a fellow called Sai. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a Korean pop superstar. A few years ago he came out with a song called Gangnam Style. Ooh, a Gangnam Style. What do you do, something like this? Something like this? You shake your legs around and turn around. It became a whole movement. Zillions of YouTube hits watching Sai do Gangnam Style. No one can understand the words unless you're Korean, but it doesn't matter because it's Gangnam Style. Imagine if Sai had a cousin and Sai's cousin came along and said to the world media, he's singing about me. I am Gangnam Style. In fact, you should listen to my next song and forget about Sai. He's passing away. He's so yesterday, it's all about me. How do you think Sai would feel about his cousin feeding off his coattails, trying to overtake him? Jesus was the cousin, we believe, of John the Baptist. 
Jesus comes after John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Jesus gets disciples following him. Jesus is trying to start another movement off John's coattails. How do you think John feels? He's a prophetic superstar. He's the man. Here's how John responds. Verse 15. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now John's older. He gets the preeminence. John was on the scene first. It's his movement. But John says, no, no, no. It really is about my cousin. It's him. He's the one. God had revealed to John that Jesus was the one. Verse 7. John came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He came saying to Jesus, here is the one who was in the beginning, the word, the one who was with God and was God. This, my cousin Jesus, is the word of God. John's just doing what Moses had done. You see, Moses had also said, there's one coming who will be the one. Over in chapter 5 of John's Gospel, we have this fascinating passage. Jesus is getting lots of opposition to his ministry and his works. Particularly the Jewish leaders are attacking him. And Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 545, Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser, he says to the Jewish leaders, is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me, says Jesus. Jesus is saying Moses was actually pointing towards me who had the word of God. John the Baptist who came as a prophet It says explicitly, I'm I'm talking about him. I'm bringing you the word of God, but I'm talking about him. It's all about Jesus. Some believe John's message. And it's fact that we think it's very likely, you have to read through the lines, but it seems quite likely that the author of our gospel, John, the apostle, was first a follower of John the Baptist, one of his disciples. And John, it would seem, leaves John the Baptist and now starts to follow Jesus. And he follows Jesus for the rest of his long life. John saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. He was a witness. He saw him die on the cross. He saw the resurrected Jesus. And he became, well, we call them the apostles. One of the apostles, the authoritative foundation stones of the Christian church. Men to whom God spoke. Men who wrote most of our New Testament. See, it goes from Moses pointing to Jesus to John the Baptist pointing to Jesus to most, if you like, the first prophet to another prophet and then his disciple John 
and from John through his writings to us, pointing us to Jesus, revealing God. You see, John heard the word of God, but he heard more than words. John says, beginning his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Apart from him nothing, has been that ha- nothing was made that has been made. Jumping down to verse 14, he's been speaking about this word of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God's word, God's eternal word, in a sense the word that came to Moses and John the Baptist, God's word has become flesh. He's dwelt amongst us. You know the word there is the word the Old Testament would use as, in its Greek version, would use as the word to tabernacle, to pitch a tent. Jesus has built his tabernacle here. The one that Moses spoke of and looked forward to, the one that John the Baptist says, now he is greater than me and he came actually before me, eternally before me. Well, John the disciple says, me and my mates, We've lived with him. We've spent time with him. We've seen him, the word of God. It's a plural term there in in verse 14. We have seen his glory. I believe John's speaking about himself and the other apostles. We have seen his glory. Jesus' first miracle that John records was he went to a wedding and they ran out of wine so there's masses of water in jars and he turned the water to wine for the wedding. John chapter 2, at the end of that miracle, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him when Jesus' glory was revealed. Everything Jesus did revealed his glory, the glory of the Father. But you know the greatest manifestation of the glory of God Through Jesus, John chapter 12. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. He's with his disciples. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus said to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 27. Now, says Jesus, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's going to the cross. No, it was for this very hour I came to this hour, very reason I came to this hour. Father, he says, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again in the death of Jesus, the promised one, on the cross. Verse 31 of that chapter, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, (laughs) when I am glorified, I will draw all people to myself and he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die on the cross lifted up. Glory, glory, hallelujah. There is the glory of God. 
manifest in John's Gospel as Jesus is lifted high to die for the sins of the world. John says back in his prologue, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, the unique Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you remember Moses? Hey God, I'm your friend. Will you show me your glory? And God's glory passed by and he was surrounded by the glory of God but he couldn't look on the face of God. With Jesus, the word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The tabernacle came down where we live. And John could say, we have seen his glory face to face. Glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Do you remember God's revelation to Moses? I am Yahweh, Yahweh, slow to anger and abounding in love and overflowing with hesed and amet, overflowing with loving kindness and truth overflowing with mercy and grace and truth. Gion says, we have seen his glory, the glory of God. And what we've seen, well, we've seen one overflowing, full of grace and truth, of loving kindness and faithfulness. Make no mistake, we have seen God in flesh. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus says later in John's Gospel, no one can see the Father except for the Son because anyone who sees the Father will die. Jesus says a bit later than that, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God has become flesh, the eternal word, the one that Moses could not look upon, the one that John the Baptist pointed to, the one that John and the other apostles lived with, revealed God's glory in its full. They saw God's steadfast love and his faithfulness and they saw it, they saw his grace and truth in all of its power and glory, particularly in the events of the cross, when Jesus died for our sins and through his resurrection. There is glory, glory, hallelujah, there is God. This is our God, the servant king, who calls us now to follow him, to use that song. The constant theme of the Gospel of John is that Jesus is God with us the full revelation of God. And through the apostles, God in Jesus is revealed to you and I.
In verse 16, the we expands, I think, to conclude John's readers. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. See, God was so gracious in calling Israel out of slavery and giving them his law, his instructions through Moses. But the law was words and they never lived up to the words and they kept on sinning and they kept on condemning them. But we have received grace in place of grace already given. We've received the grace of the Lord Jesus out of Jesus' fullness of his grace and truth. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hesed and Emet came through Jesus Christ. Loving kindness and faithfulness. That of God which overflows came through Jesus. And it's for us Much more than Moses or John the Baptist, we can see God in the Lord Jesus. Jesus who deals with our sins. Jesus who enables us to approach the very presence of God and see his face in his glory. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. This is a great passage, great verse. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God. Did you hear that? Who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made God known. And that is the end of John's introduction, his prologue. We can know God in Jesus. We can approach God in Jesus. The separation is removed in Jesus. The tabernacle, we are drawn into it in Jesus. John has told us what he's going to be writing about. This is his introduction. He writes for those who haven't seen Jesus. He writes, he tells us at the end why he writes. He writes so that those who haven't seen Jesus can hear, believe and obey and in that find life. Let me go to chapter 20. Jesus says to Thomas, his disciple, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. They saw, which are not recorded in the book, in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Are we getting a sense of what John's doing in this gospel? He wants us to see Well, let's say he wants us to hear. It's the same thing. So that it hits our heart, the person of Jesus, and then we believe, and as we believe, we come to obey. So I have to ask in closing, do you want to know God? You can say there is no God. You can imagine this world is just one crazy, mad fluke. 
and process all this madness of life and all this wonder and all the stupidity of consciousness as nothing. There's one option. Or you can say there is a God and he has spoken and revealed himself and he made the world. And then ask yourself, do I want to know the creator? Do I want to know the one who holds my very life and very breath in his hands? Do I care to know him? Now the reality is many people don't and many, many, most people like Israel keep chasing false gods that they might live. And the separation just gets bigger. And they will be cast from the presence of the Lord, the God of life. But God, John tells us, can be known, the one who was in the beginning, the one who created, can be known through his son Jesus. The word of God made flesh who has dwelt amongst us. Who is full of grace and truth. Steadfast in his love and loving and and, and faithful in all that he does. This is our God. But we have to hear, believe and obey. As we go through John's Gospel, you will find that Jesus is in every part of the story and that in every part of the story we have the appeal that we might hear or see, believe and obey. And that is my prayer this year, that we will get sick of that in such a way that we delight in it. It may be like getting fit for us this year at Pano. You know, you start exercising, the first two aren't so bad, then you have about three to two to three, four weeks where it's just plain hard work. You get through that and it becomes delight. You're doing the same old thing every day. Discipline, desire, delight. I'm hoping maybe we're still in there. This is okay. Maybe in a couple of months you've I've heard enough of this already, but I hope by the end of the year we love hearing about Jesus and being told we need to hear, believe and obey because in him is life. You just can't get too much. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, through whom we can know you and see you and be with you. Thank you that Jesus has removed this curse of sin by becoming the word who died in our place by becoming the law for us and bearing your wrath for our rebellion. Help us to trust in him and not get weary of hearing about his goodness, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of our time together, we sung about the God who is seated on the throne, who is holy, who is holy, 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 so holy that us as sinful people cannot look upon him. But we see in his word that he has come near to us, that in Jesus we can know God. Let's stand and sing.